Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Mama Village. Our guest today, Ali, is a first time mum who, like many, began her pregnancy journey with fears and uncertainties about childbirth. She initially sought the comfort of private obstetric care, looking for a path that felt safe and familiar. Little did she know that a chance encounter with a friend's home birth on Instagram would completely alter her perspective. We delve into the mindset shift that led Ali to embrace the idea of a home water birth with a private midwife, discovering the strength and power that comes with making such a choice. But Ali's journey doesn't stop there. Despite being diagnosed with scoliosis at a young age and being told that carrying a baby might be challenging, she describes her pregnancy as nothing short of a dream. We explore the resilience and joy she found in each moment, defying the expectations that came with her scoliosis diagnosis. However, Ali's post-birth journey took an unexpected turn. Following her dream birth, she began to experience pain and her midwife discovered a large hematoma. This led to a calm hospital transfer. There was no urgency, no stress, just a collaborative discussion of what they could see and the recommended course of action. Ali, maintaining her empowered spirit, continued to make informed choices even in the unexpected. Get ready to be captivated by Ali's unique story of resilience, self-discovery, and the awe-inspiring moment when she welcomed her little one into the world, surrounded by the comforts of her own home. Whether you're a soon-to-be parent, a birth enthusiast, or simply curious about the various paths to childbirth, Ali's journey is bound to leave you inspired and in awe of the incredible capabilities of the human body. Don't forget that if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast platform. If you would like to share your story on the podcast, please send an email to the.mamavillage at outlook.com. That's the.mamavillage at outlook.com. Let's get into Ali's story. Welcome to the Mama Village, Ali. Thank you. Can you please tell the listeners a bit about yourself, like your age, who is in your family and where you're from? Sure. So um, my name is Ali and I am 32 years old. I live with my partner, Falsto, and our eight-month-old baby girl, Macy, in uh, Palm Beach. Oh, beautiful. Well, let's jump into your pregnancy. Did you do anything to prepare to conceive? I did, yes. So I stopped taking contraception pill uh, about a year before I fell pregnant. I'd been on the pill for 15 years. I just thought I just I feel like I don't even know my body and I just really need to sort of tune in a bit before um, before I was to think about having a baby. So I sort of we'd spoken about it. I knew the time was coming. Also, and I hadn't been together for all that long, but we were both really keen to have children. So. Um, yeah, about a year before I stopped taking the pill and then a few months before when the conversations were sort of more leaning towards like, okay, let's start trying soon, I just started taking a prenatal. I amped up my exercise a bit. I just, I knew that I, I, I knew I think at that point that I wanted to have a natural labour and I started to do some um, learning about that and so I sort of thought that it would be best for me to try and be in sort of as good physical condition as I could be to have a healthy pregnancy and a good birth not that you need to do that but for me that just felt like you know I just felt like I wanted to be strong and fit to carry a child (laughs) and look that might stem from I have scoliosis and um a doctor told me when I was about 
17 that I would have trouble carrying a child, that it would cause me lots of issues and pain and things like that. So I think that's where my sort of... So do you want to tell us a bit about what scoliosis is? Sure. So it's a curvature of the spine, not to be a twist of the spine, that's putting it in simple terms, and I have both. So they consider 30 degrees severe and I have a 50 degree curve and a twist. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when I was about 16, 17, um, I was seeing specialists and we were fussing up about whether to have surgery or not. And every time I had an appointment, I saw a different specialist and every specialist gave me different advice. So um, <laughs> that was my introduction to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so I sort of had always had, always had that in the back of my mind that I may have trouble carrying. So I, yeah, I just started doing some yoga, sort of more yoga, running a bit more and, yeah, doing some weight training and stuff. And all those things were kind of loosely in my life, (laughs) but I just kind of amped up a bit before and I stopped drinking alcohol for a few months before as well. My partner wasn't so on board with changing his lifestyle before we started trying to conceive. He took a male prenatal supplement, which was all I could sort of get him to do. Yeah, my husband was the same. Yeah, yeah, I sort of feel like it's a very womanly thing to do, to be like, right, organise, prepare, and for guys to be like, it will be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think there's also just throughout our lives, you know, we're constantly being told what supplements to take or pills or whatever to suppress hormones and things like that. So I think we just have a bit more of awareness of how that plays a role in our overall health. And when we do or, you know, when it does come time for trying for a baby, I think there's also this perception that, With fertility, all the issues are with the woman when that's not necessarily the case. And a lot of the times it's not the case. So I think that plays into it a little bit as well. Yes, definitely. And just on that note, um, (laughs) just a fun fact, there is some research now that shows that age does actually play a part in fertility for men too, which used to not be the sort of belief. Women were sort of once you hit 30, it's all, you know, um, an issue from there. But actually, yeah, for men it is sort of age plays a part too. So I think we're learning more and more that and male's fertility has a big role in the overall, you know, a couple's ability to conceive. Yeah. So he took a prenatal and then how long did it take, I guess, to conceive and what was that journey like? Yeah, so we thought that we had the approach of let's just um, not try not to, but I, that just didn't work for me because we did one month of, okay, um, you know, I was, I'd was i been tracking my ovulation for quite a while and it was sort of like, okay, let's just not try and avoid pregnancy now. And then sort of one month of that and I got a negative test. I was like, actually, I really want this. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and that negative test was quite disappointing even though I mean people try for a long time I fully appreciate that but I think just sort of having that month where it's like it might happen this month and then it didn't it just made me really feel like actually I want this and I want it now (laughs) (laughs) my best friend who has a couple of children she was like all right just do not her advice was like just don't 
just don't give that sperm a chance to escape. Just get in the bedroom and get it done. So we had <laughs> we had a busy next month. <laughs> Ovulation time. Yeah. And yeah, we were really lucky that yeah, it happened that first time of sort of yeah, being busy. <laughs> So we were very lucky that, uh, yeah, we fell pregnant that um, first month of probably trying. So, Aww. yeah, it was very, very lucky. And I think, yeah, a big relief because after being on contraception for 15 years, I was sort of unsure about how that would play a role. But no, we were both pretty, yeah. But even though we tried, we were both shocked. I think because it's so common and a lot of people in my life um, have taken a while to conceive so for me even though we tried when we got the positive test we were both like whoa (laughs) okay this is happening yeah yeah um so I was actually by myself when I did the positive test because I I think my period was one day late and I was like oh it was before work and I was like oh I'm just gonna do the test and I work in Brisbane and we live on the coast and that night I'd stayed at a friend's place just to be a bit closer to work and I was like oh, I'll just do the test I'm just I'm not usually late and then it was positive and I was like oh my god why did I do this now I'm by myself I don't even have anyone to to share this <laughs> sort of shock and excitement with and then so another friend lives just around the corner and she's off on mat leave and I messaged her I said are you home like, like if you're home I need to come around and then so I went around and I told her <laughs> and then um, and then I messaged my mum and I was like, can you meet me at this cafe? Like I was just like, I can't withhold this <laughs> information in like, yourself. <laughs> then I told my mum, but then I had to go to work because I didn't obviously want to tell Foster over the phone. Yeah. And then I went to work and I it was just absolute chaos in my mind. I was like, I can't. I can't do this. I'm a social worker in a hospital, so it's quite a busy job. Mm. And, yeah, so I ended up, yeah, I, I went home a bit early that day <laughs> and I actually called our local pizza shop because our foster, he's Italian heritage um, and he loves, loves pizza. It's his absolute favourite thing in the world. So I was like, I want to incorporate this. So I called our local pizza shop and I asked them to uh, make a pizza that said I'm pregnant on the pizza. Oh, cute! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then huh? they did that for me, and so I had message Foster. I was like, I'm coming home. I'm not feeling well. Can you please be home? I want you there with me. I just want to cuddle up on the couch. I'm gonna get some pizzas, and I just want you home because I was like, I'll probably get home, and he'll be like off skating or something. <laughs> so I said, please be home, and then. I got home and then he opened, because I got two pizzas, he opened the one that didn't have the I'm pregnant on it and I was like, my heart was in my mouth. I was like, can you please open the other box? <laughs> and then he opened it and he was like, what's this? And he took so long to read it. He was like, I'm, I'm, and I was like, oh, my God. Just like, <laughs> oh and my then God. he read it and he looked up at me and was like, oh, Really? Yeah, it was it was a really exciting moment. So that's such a great story. It was fun. It was fun, and then he got super super excited, and he called his family in Brazil, and um, yeah, told his mom and dad, and everyone was like 
screaming and yeah it was really fun it was a really happy happy moment for us <laughs> oh I I really love that that's such a great story so everyone was basically told straight away yeah you're you're pregnant yeah so we I just we just decided to tell everyone because we're both pretty open people like I wouldn't say either of us are overly sort of like private reserve people at all <laughs> we just sort of overshare everything so um uh and we sort of thought to if you know if we had a pregnancy loss we would want the people in our life to be part of that and to be there for support and to know but then if we didn't have a pregnancy loss we didn't want to lose those weeks of celebrating either sort of that's how we felt about it we wanted to be like we're just going to celebrate this now while it's good um you know if we're you know if that happens then we would tell everyone anyway but that was our personal choice obviously yeah I think that's really beautiful and I think you're right it is a personal choice But I love that you were so open about it. And I think we need more of that because there's this real, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but basically we're told you don't announce your pregnancy until you're 12 weeks just in case something happens. And it's just a real, I suppose, negative first step into motherhood. You just have to keep the secret that you're so excited about and you just want to enjoy and that's right. And you want to celebrate and you want it to be a pleasant time. But yeah, of course, it's a very personal choice and some people don't want to share just in case and they might be more sort of private people. And I think, you know, for us, it's a bit of, I guess, and it's just, yeah, it's your whole family culture as well. Like some people prefer to grieve in private and some people are very sort of want to be more connected to their family and their friends and things like that when they're in any sort of stage of loss and grief. So um, it just depends on your whole sort of family structure, your upbringing, your own personal beliefs. And yeah, it's a very, very personal thing. So yeah, I agree. There's no right or wrong way. And I totally respect people's choice to want to grieve on their own if that's what they find to be the best choice for them. So yeah, totally agree that there's no right or wrong way to deal with it. So beautiful start to pregnancy. And then how are you feeling physically and emotionally throughout your pregnancy? I felt great. I had a great pregnancy. I was so, so lucky. I didn't get any morning sickness or any type of sickness if I got a little bit of nausea I could put that at bay with snacks so I was a bit of a snacker um, and yeah I felt good the whole time I was sort of able to maintain sort of good yeah movement and energy and my social life and the only thing that really hit me was the heartburn probably about halfway through I started to get the heartburn and it just got worse and worse as the pregnancy went on so I just had to be quite careful with what I ate Unfortunately, pizza was one of the things I couldn't eat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, and it just at night time and I, I tried not to take medications and things like that through my pregnancy, but I just could not not have Gaviscon. Like it was my life saving. I was getting up at two o'clock yeah. in the morning and just having a mouthful of it because I just, it was to the point where there was a couple of occasions where I actually threw up because of the heartburn it was so intense for me so Mm. and what was your perception of birth before um your pregnancy so a while before I always wanted to be a mum and I pretty much thought about birth as 
the worst day of your life that you've just got to get through. <laughs> it was, in my mind, just pain, horrific trauma. You feel like you want to die and you just take all the medication that you can to avoid that experience. So I had taken out top cover private health because I was like, I'm going to birth in a private hospital where there will be a test available for me. <laughs> in my mind, it was like, I'm having that epidural. I'm not suffering if I don't need to. And I had attended my friend's birth in hospital and she had a very traumatic first birth. And then the second birth, she... Uh, wanted an epidural and she went through the public system and it didn't happen even though she'd sort of been asking for it the whole time she was in the hospital and so for me I was like it's my right to have anesthetic in labor if that's what I wish for and if I have to go through private access that I will so that was my feeling of birth is that it's pretty much a horrible thing that you've got to get through if you want to have a baby and then I had a friend um, that I used to work with. She posted her home birth video on Instagram. And I was like, what is this crazy lady doing <laughs> having her baby at home? <laughs> and so I messaged her and I was like, I'm just a bit curious about this. Can you just tell me, like, what the actual hell? <laughs> Not in a bad way, but just like, I'm so interested because this to me is crazy. And she sort of, yeah, she replied and she was using all of the language like, you know, cascade of interventions and, you know, choices and things. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what all of that means, but it looks like you had a really beautiful little birth. And, and, and I was very much of the position of she's lucky. You know, she's lucky that her birth went well. Um, and I think, obviously, I have a very different way of thinking about it now. But then she uh, posted her podcast interview. She was on Positive Birth Australia. And Aww. she had put the link up to her um, interview on her Instagram as well. So I just sort of had a listen to that. And then that got me onto that podcast. And then I sort of just started diving into, yeah, the rabbit hole of home birth and birth in general. And I've always been a person that likes to sort of learn a lot and read a lot and research and I can sort of get onto a topic and become quite infatuated with it. And that sort of happened for me. And then, yeah, I just started reading lots of books and listening to podcasts and uh, educating myself. And I'm so glad that I did that <laughs> and that that person shared her story because it completely changed my trajectory of my whole experience being pregnant and birth and postpartum and everything. And, um, yeah, I think that's sort of the power of storytelling, hey? So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And how many weeks were you? When I... When you, I guess, first heard about your friends or when she posted. Oh, I wasn't even pregnant then. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, sort of about probably 18 months before I got pregnant, I took out the private health. And then, right. yeah, and then before I got pregnant, I um, my world was sort of open to, yeah, the whole sort of home birth and 
um, yeah, just birth in general, just learning about it. And then, yeah, so when I fell pregnant, I was pretty decided that I wanted to have a home birth, but mm. I was also quite sort of flexible in the way of, like, I've never been pregnant before. I don't know how I'll feel once I get pregnant, <laughs> once I fall pregnant. I don't know, you know, what my position on it will be. And then, yeah, once I fell pregnant, it just become, you know, that feeling that you feel extremely protective of your baby, even from the minute you find out you're pregnant, they just become, mm. yeah, you become yeah. so protective straight away. And for me, Absolutely. yeah, opting to have a home birth was the protective option for my baby. Mm. that's sort of how I felt about it after sort of all of my learning so yeah I reached out to a local midwife and I just had one meeting with her just sort of talk it over and then that was that was that just sealed the deal for me <laughs> so I guess she's my favorite. oh how beautiful and so that was a private midwife yeah yeah a private midwife so she services the Gold Coast for she works under it takes a village midwifery Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of. Yeah, heard so of um, I think they're quite, um, yeah, like a well-used service in the Brisbane area and um, I didn't know whether they service the Gold Coast and I emailed them and they said, yes, um, we have, her name is Sorka, we have Sorka on the Gold Coast, I'll pass on your details. And, yeah, and I met her and then I just felt really at ease and uh, it just made me feel really confident in the decision to run with having a private midwife and um, a home birth oh that's that's so beautiful and so did your partner attend the appointment as well um he was there and because what was his perception of birth as well so in the earlier sort of stages of discussions he was sort of like he never said no or you know this is completely you know um I'm not considering this. He was always very open-minded. And I think his fear actually escalated more towards the end of the pregnancy as opposed to at the beginning. At the beginning, he was like, yeah, okay, that's sort of what you want to do. You know, we can go with that. And I would sort of I'd try and get him to read some books, even just like particular chapters in books that I thought would be you know, have a big impact kind of thing. But he, <laughs> he didn't really do any of the reading. But I was able to sort of just drip feed him information I was like oh I listened to this podcast today and this is what they were talking about and I found that really interesting and just kind of having brief conversations with him about the evidence-based stuff that I was learning Mm. about he was then able to learn so much himself as well and yeah he had lots of conversations with with my midwife too so he had actually he did his ACL playing soccer when I was Mm. In the sort of earlier months of pregnancy. So he was actually off. Oh, in, sorry, in pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great timing. Um, uh. Yeah. So he um, he was at lots of the appointments with Sorker and I. So he was participated in lots of those conversations about, yeah, like the safety of it and what, you know, what we would do in any case of a medical emergency and things like that. So he felt comfortable with it as well. And there is a... Netflix docuseries on birth in Brazil should have um, looked up the name of it. That's okay. You can send it to me after. Yeah, yeah. If you want to put it in the show notes, because it is yeah really really full on. It's very confronting, 
and like Foster himself had had not great experiences in hospital settings so part of my want to have a home birth as well was so that he would also not be anxious during my birth and so yeah when I sort of talked to him about it from that perspective um and we watched that series and we also watched birth time together as well and um (laughs) birth time I think was a really big shift for him we watched it and then he was like we'll do it right here we'll do it on this lounge room floor right here (laughs) he was like yeah he was completely on board after that so um yeah that was a good resource I think yeah to to sit and watch Mm. a film as opposed to reading books probably (laughs) was a better approach and so you mentioned earlier that you discovered home birth before you were even pregnant. What was that discussion like in the very early stages when you said you might be considering a home birth? With Fausto? Yeah. Yeah, just I pretty much just said to him, I think, um, yeah, like I'm, I, I want to birth at home. To me, it's safe. I want to be comfortable. I went through sort of the research side of things with him too around you know explaining how the hormones work how oxytocin produces when you're feeling safe and comfortable in your own environment and you're around people that you trust and and sort of I guess I did lots of comparison conversations about this is how it is in hospitals and this is how it can be at home and for me personally I think that I would feel more comfortable in the home setting as opposed to hospital settings where you don't know the team a lot of the time you don't know the staff that are on shift when you go into labor Mm. and so and I think in my experience working in a hospital as well I know a little bit of what it's like behind the scenes too and that's not to put down the staff of the system I think it's an appreciation of how stretched the staff are in healthcare particularly through you know, the pandemic and things that just got even worse. I understand, you know, I experienced firsthand the, you know, understaffed, under-resourced, the, the, the pressure to do more with less time. And um, I think what, you know, things that potentially, you know, unless you worked in a hospital, you wouldn't necessarily consider or think about is that they're dealing with a lot of different people. So, not everybody comes from the same background and lifestyle and experiences and everything so you might come in and you might want your midwife to be very calm and peaceful for you and present and you know all those things that you hope for from the healthcare staff but Mm. earlier in that shift they might have been dealing with a client who's experiencing domestic violence they might have had child safety come up and remove a baby that's just been born. You know, these really, you know, crisis situations that happen in other people's lives. You might, you know, you don't really think about that when you're not experiencing it yourself, but for other people and, and, you know, for healthcare staff, they are dealing with big things on the day-to-day. And so for me it was like I would not have the expectation for a midwife who has just been, you know, dealing with some of these sort of, yeah, real crisis situations to then come into my room and be this calm, gentle, 
present, you know. Um, so when I sort of explained it to Foster in that way too, he completely understood and and he knows me too like he he knows me he he just trusts that I would make the right decision for myself and and for our baby too oh I'm so glad that you really delved into that I think it's really important and I think you've articulated that really well and I understand everything a lot of what you're saying my whole family is in the medical system so my mum's a nurse my sister's a nurse and midwife as well and Mm. you're absolutely right they deal with this stuff on a day-to-day basis Mm. it's as sad as it is it's not unique and there's so much pressure on the staff and look I'm, I'm not saying don't go to hospital we absolutely need hospitals for emergencies and some people feel safer birthing in a hospital and I respect personal choice but I think it's important to talk about that decision making process into why you decided to have a home birth and a bit of that background I think is just pretty invaluable I think. Yeah for sure and I totally agree that you you, you should birth where you feel safe and if you feel safer in a hospital that's where you should birth if you feel safer at home that's where you should birth I think particularly I suppose some a lot of women most women probably don't even consider home birth and I think that's where just putting it out there that that's an option and you can think about it and you can change your mind at any time too and that's sort of the way that I presented it to my family that I'm choosing to have a home birth because my pregnancy is low risk. If that changes at any time, I can go to hospital. So I think, yeah, it's just it's just about thinking about it, really. <laughs> it's just planting yeah. you to thinking about your, your options and your choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I've spoken about it on previous episodes before. You can change your mind at any time, and that goes for anything in your pregnancy and birth. Consent is a constantly evolving thing and you're not locked into anything so that choice is always there and you spoke a little bit about your family and telling them that you're having a home birth so how did they receive that news so my I told my mum first and she was very worried (laughs) she I guess for her I think it's not my stories to tell but she didn't have great time in her births um Mm. so I think for her yeah, she was just worried. She, again, you know, like Falso, trusts me to make the right decision, but also worried. So I sort of had to have some conversations with mum about, you know, if there's any medical event for me or the baby or, any, you know, or I don't feel like it's a, you know, safe option for me to have the baby at home, I will go in a hospital if I need to. Like, I will absolutely use that resource. I'm not a person who, you know, would be like, I'm absolutely not going to hospital under any circumstances. Mm. So I think, um, and she never met my midwife, but I would talk to my mum and relay our conversations to my mum a bit about, like, these are the things that can happen and this is how my midwife would respond. And I think that put her at ease a bit but yeah mum was pretty worried and but in the end sort of I think she really respected that I needed her to not express her worries to me throughout the whole pregnancy Mm. so whilst she was worried she was very respectful of I guess my boundaries in I, I appreciate you're worried but 
like we don't can we not talk about those worries all the time and and she was really good about that I didn't never actually had a conversation with my dad about it we did not talk about it once wow my mum told my dad and my dad I think just wasn't keen on the idea and that's all that mum said like your father knows he's not keen on the idea but we'll respect your choices Um, and my dad and I are really close as well but it was just a thing of I think I sometimes felt like it was I would need to give so I couldn't impart all of the information that I had I just felt like I couldn't I could explain you know this reason this reason this reason but I sort of did get to a point where I found it would it sort of quite difficult to get other people on board because I had learned so much and I couldn't tell them everything I knew yeah so I just sort of took the easy route really like I was just like um you can tell dad I I don't think that is necessarily the easy route I think that honestly it's not I mean this this may sound bad but it's the truth it's not your responsibility to process this for them Oh yeah, it yeah, is. Sure. Yeah, it, it's your it's your birth. You're you're the mother. You're taking responsibility, and you were saying a lot about you know your your mum's fears and things like that. But you're not being reckless. You're taking full responsibility for your birth, and I think it's just a lack of understanding and knowledge on the topic, and it's just not your responsibility to process and in saying that it sounds like your mum was super respectful and understanding of of that yeah um, yeah, sure. yeah. And she was so yeah she was really great because you know I think I, I, so I'm a mum now and I have my own daughter and I can't really imagine having sort of really sincere concerns for her and not voicing them so I think my mum did mm. a really good job yeah but she was definitely, I think, in the end, on board and excited too. Like it wasn't sort of that she was like, um, I'm concerned and I don't agree with what you're doing. It was just just concerns. And I think that's okay too. Like it's totally, unless you delve into it and do your own reading and research and learning, it's not common knowledge. Like how birth works is not common knowledge. We're not taught that. Mm. <laughs> and so it's sort you're of... You're so right. Yeah, it wasn't my expectation that she would yeah sort of know all of that and understand but I guess like based on her own experiences too I fully respected that she had her own traumas during birth and that that was her that's her lived experience and I you know it probably wouldn't matter what I said I can't take away that that's her lived experience with birth either so Mm. I had to be respectful of that too yeah it sounds like you and your mum found a really good balance between you know her expressing concern and then but still respecting your decision as well it's it actually sounds like a really beautiful um relationship that you have with your mum yeah um, we're all really close yeah. To, yeah but my little sister come to my birth and she was sort of really excited on board the whole time and just my extended family um I just said that I would birth in hospital but it's an option for me with my private midwife to birth at home if I wanted to so it was sort of left open that that could be on the cards but yeah um and then all of my friends were just really sort of chill about it oh that that's that's really lovely because yeah I've I've you know heard of people voicing it before and it's not I think it's just met with lack of understanding so it's really it's really nice that you had that experience and so I guess on that trajectory did you have any fears yourself about home birth and how are those fears and safety concerns I suppose addressed if it was related to safety 
Uh, I didn't have any fears as such that something would go wrong. I think I really worked hard on my mental space during my pregnancy to, yeah, just tune into my body, tune into my baby um, and just start to really just trust myself and be confident that I myself would know something would go wrong if something was to go wrong and that I would be able to, yeah, just respond to that quickly. I just sort of felt like I would know if something's not right and if something's not right I'll be saying something's not right <laughs> and mm. I really trusted my midwife too to yeah. respond and, and, and listen to me and, and I knew that she really works from a framework of the utmost trust and respect in women so I knew that if I had said to her look something's not right that she would absolutely listen to me and respond accordingly so I didn't really have any fear like once I sort of did all of the learning and had decided on the home birth and I had sort of the conversations with my midwife. Yeah, I didn't I wouldn't say I had any fear as such. And then sort of as I was conversing more with my midwife, I sort of got to I guess in that, you know, unpacking of my thinking that I don't really have a fear of pain, which is which is bizarre to then reflect on why I wanted an epidural. Went before like, mm. because I I didn't have any fear of the pain of contractions or tearing or anything like that, and I felt like I have a good um, pain sort of threshold. So yeah, I don't know why I sort of I think probably the reason I was so sort of hell bent on having an epidural is because of the way just the cultural kind of discourse around birth more so than actually sitting with my own self thinking I'm actually really scared of pain because I'm not. So it's kind mm. of bizarre when you start to have lots of deep conversations about it and unpack things, how you sort of come to your own conclusions and learn more about yourself. And, yeah, so I think in, in terms of fear, I you know, I said to my midwife later in my pregnancy, my fear is that during labour I will have a crisis of confidence and I'll demand to go to hospital and that will actually happen. <laughs> that was my fear. My fear was that I would unnecessarily go to hospital. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm really glad that you unpacked with us that decision-making process into a home birth because I think it's super important to really nut out how you went from going through a private obstetrician to then realizing that home birth is the safest thing for you and your baby. I think that's, you've articulated it really well. And I think that it's really important to really nut out that decision making. So thank you for that. And before we jump into your birth stories, can you tell us what resources, so what podcasts, you've referred to this quite a lot throughout the episode so far, but what podcasts, books, websites, those sorts of things, what resources did you use to prepare for the home birth? Podcast, the two main ones that I absolutely thrashed through my whole pregnancy was Positive Birth Australia and The Midwives Cauldron. Yeah, The Midwives Cauldron is all evidence-based information and they go into lots of a really wide variety of things and very specific topics as well. And that's all to do with birth and breastfeeding. So it's the host is Dr. Rachel Reed, who is all about you know birth, and then there's the lactation consultant that's um, a co-host as well. So they talk a lot about yeah everything, and I just found that really helpful. And yeah, it was Positive Birth Australia is just all of the birth stories, which 
just makes you excited for birth, which is a really awesome thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that podcast. I think it's I think it's great. And that's how I discovered home birth as well was through that podcast. So yeah. it's a beautiful, beautiful resource. And yeah. what yeah. books as well? You mentioned that you read a couple of books. I read a lot of books, but the main ones that I would recommend is I loved Anna May Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. And the Positive Birth book by Millie Hill. Um, I found that good because it was very just simple. It's an easy read and it just unpacks things from a really, yeah, kind of just, yeah, just simple terms and it just makes it all like, oh, okay, that's what that means and that's what that means and it's all really easy. Mm. Birth with Confidence by Rhea Dempsey is a good one for like really like cultural shift thinking. Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Dr. Sarah Buckley. I loved that one. And Reclaiming Childbirth as a Rite of Passage by Dr. Rachel Reed. And I love that one too because that really delves into the culture of birth and it goes right back in history as to how our maternity care system got to where it is today, which I just love all that stuff. I find it really fascinating. So yeah. Yeah, I love that book. Yes, it's a good one, hey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And any other resources that you use? No, not really. Actually, just the books and the podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And then there's like, you know, Instagram pages like Dr. Sarah Wickham and stuff has great info on inductions and stuff like that too. So just kind of even just following the right pages on Instagram and having a scroll, you learn something new. Yeah. I just thought I would interject here because Ali let me know after the interview had ended that she forgot to mention she pursued physiotherapy throughout her pregnancy for her scoliosis and she encountered no issues during her pregnancy or birth. So this intentional self-care played a crucial role in making her experience both comfortable and empowering. Now let's get back to Ali's story. Let's jump into your birth story. So let's go right to the end of your pregnancy. How many weeks were you when labor started? I was 40 weeks and five days. Oh, so were you a bit, you know, feeling a bit anxious about baby coming or were you feeling really confident? Because you said you'd done a lot of prep work in the lead up. So Yeah, so I was really excited and I didn't really get to that point in my pregnancy where I was like, okay, I want this baby out, <laughs> get this baby out of me. I was, I, yeah. I felt like I was carrying this big old Bertha belly, um, but I wasn't so uncomfortable that I was like, get this baby out. Um, so I sort of sat pretty, yeah, comfortably towards the end of my pregnancy, I suppose. But um, I actually, so I got to 40 weeks. And you know when you get to sort of 37 weeks and you're sort of like, it can happen any time, but, you know, you're, like, <laughs> yeah. you're prepared to go to 42 weeks and you're sort of like, oh, you know, it can happen any time, but any time in the next five weeks and that's kind of a long time when you're sort of heavily pregnant. Mm. But it was sort of earlier in the week. So I went into labour on Saturday night, but earlier in the week, I so we had Falsto's father come over from Brazil with his partner and we just wanted to have a couple of days with them before the baby arrived. We just sort of wanted to, you know, go out to dinner and just spend some time and because um, I knew that once baby was here, I'd just be home and sort of, yes, settling in the bar. Mm. So I actually sat on the bed 
you know, and entered my bed and I held my belly and I said to my baby and I was talking to her and I said, you know, we're so excited for you and we can't wait for you to be here. But can you just stay in until the weekend? Can we just just (laughs) make it through to, you know, it's okay if you come on, you know, the labour starts on, if you start feel like you want to come on Saturday night and you're born on Sunday, any time from that's fine, babe. Like just just give us the rest, you know, a few few Mm. days just to kind of, Spend that family time, have that those last days of just, you know, Falso and I together. And do you know what? I went into labour on Saturday night and she was born on Sunday morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just got goosebumps yeah. all up my ass. I was like, oh, she's my obedient little baby. <laughs> girl. Yeah. Yeah, so you I guess spent that time with your family then yeah. and then let's jump into when you um, had an inkling that labor was starting sure so it was the Saturday and I'd had a bit of a bloody show not like the full mucus plug but just a bit of sort of bloody discharge and I was like oh I haven't had that you know maybe there's some movement starting to happen now and that day my belly just felt really really tight like obviously it's tight and hard towards the end of pregnancy anyway but I was actually sort of sitting in the chair and my belly just was like this weird square shape. Like it was, it, it just looked so like hard and, and firm and like a strange shape. And I just felt that she was moving. Um, I didn't sort of feel pressure down low, but I was like, there's, a, there's like some movement happening here. Um, and so I sort of was like, oh, maybe this is kind of, you know, my body starting to get ready and maybe in the coming days weeks things will happen and then as the afternoon went on I just started to feel sort of yeah tighter and tighter in my belly not yeah nowhere else just my belly it just felt really sort of yeah like my muscles were quite engaged in my belly but no pain or anything and I was just in a really good mood I just felt I just had a good sort of energy and I felt really happy and relaxed and and then I sort of started to wonder, like, is, you know, is this kind of the start of something? I just kind of had this sort of feeling that things are sort of going to start happening soon. Um, and I I hadn't used any sort of, you know, natural techniques to induce labour or anything. But that day I did use some clary sage oil because I was like, I feel good. I feel happy. I just my energy feels right. And I'm just going to, you know, douse myself in this clary sage. <laughs> And then we had a dinner booking with Fausto's dad and partner at 7pm on Saturday night. And I sort of had this inkling that, yeah, things were yeah, happening. But um, I was like, oh, look, this can go on for days, even weeks. So let's just, you know, carry on as usual. So we got ready. We went to dinner. And then while I was sitting at dinner, like they put us on these really low seated chairs and I could, I was like, you know, my knees were up near my boobs and I was like hanging this huge pregnant belly between my legs trying to eat dinner. I was like, this is so uncomfortable, but maybe that helps trigger things because I was in this kind of strange low seated position. And so we had dinner and throughout dinner, I was just feeling pretty crampy and uncomfortable. And then after we ate, I sat up. I stood up and was like, I can't sit in that chair anymore. And I just had this sort of burst of energy. I can't 
I just feel like I need to move. And they said, oh, well, let's, you know, let's leave and go for a walk. And I was like, yes, great. Let's go for a little stroll. I feel I need that. And then we literally walked about 100 metres up the beach, I think. And then I was just, the cramps started to kind of, yeah, I would cramp and it would ease off. And then I would cramp and it was it would ease off. And as I was walking, it was just becoming more sort of obvious. And I said to Fausto, I think we need to go home. Like, I think, you know, I'm starting to feel crampy and it's kind of not just like a little tight anymore. And then, yeah, so we got home at about 9.30 and I just started tidying. <laughs> we had some gifts that people had given for Macy and stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to put this away. I'm just going to put this away. And Fossil was like, why are you doing this now? And I was like, because I want to. Like, I'm already in that, like, <laughs> let me do what I need to do. Yeah. And then at about 10.30, um, we went to bed. And when I lay down, it just, yeah, the sort of timings just started happening. And I was, I was like, I need to sleep. You know, that thing is like, if you're in early labor, get as much rest as you can. So I was pretty focused on that. but. I wasn't going to sleep and I was sort of laying there and I was sort of already having to be like <sighs> and then so I'm you know breathing in Forster's ear hole and he was like I can't sleep like this <laughs> so he, he got up and went to um, the spare room and had a lay down and I was yeah laying in the bed and I was like I can't actually lay down like this is feeling you know laying down is, make, is making me feel worse and roughly what time of night was this? This was, yeah, probably about 11, 11 yeah, p.m. Okay. Yeah. And then so I got Foster to help me put on the TENS machine because I'd heard that's good to put on earlier and it works better if you have it on sooner. So he mm-hmm. helped me put that on and he went and laid down and I was just sitting on the edge of the bed. And, yeah, it was really obvious kind of tightening every so often and it was pretty strong already. But again, because you're a first time mum, you just don't know is this, you know, Braxton heat, which, you know, is sort of the start of labor anyway. But, you know, is it just, is this going to ease off or is this how it is for a few days before labor really picks up? Like, you just really don't know. But I was thinking to myself, like, this is pretty strong already. <laughs> um, and I text my midwife at about midnight and I said, our baby girl is getting ready. I'll call when things pick up. So by that time, I think, yeah. Fosto had been in bed only for a little while and um, I went into him and I said, I think we better blow up the birth pool because it's getting a bit late and um, I was worried about the noise of blowing up the birth pool, which now is so ridiculous because I, like, bored the whole complex down all night. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I got, you know, I really said to him, let's blow up the birth pool now because it's going to be better to have you know, the sound of the motor at midnight on a Saturday as opposed to four o'clock on a Sunday morning. So he got up and blew up the birth pool. And then, yeah, while he was doing that, I just was sort of writing down some kind of last minute affirmations and putting up some more photos and trying to sort of work on finalising this space. But I was really being pretty knocked by these contractions at this point. Um, do you know how far apart they were? Uh, were you timing them? I had the TENS machine on, but I found it, I ended up taking it off because I found it pretty annoying to sort of click when it once started and then click when it was off. And then I just, I just wanted to sort of just sit there and just try and relax instead of kind of working on that. Mm-hmm. So 
I'd say they were still a few minutes apart at that point, but I noticed myself getting lower to the floor and I knew that that was a sign that things were progressing because, you know, I'd kind of be standing up doing something and then a contraction would come on and I'd sort of have to, like I'd lean over the bench or I'd kind of buckle over a bit. And even then, so probably around kind of 1.30ish when we were sort of, yeah, kind of working on getting the space together and setting up, I remember putting the the hose connector thing on our tap for the birth pool hose and feeling quite kind of drunk, like just um, foggy and dizzy and being like, whoa, like this is really, you know, the the impact on I guess my yeah like it felt drunk and I was just like I feel I feel like I'm doing things intoxicated right now (laughs) I think I need to go sit down and so I sort of noticed that thought like yeah this kind of feels like I'm definitely in labor I think at that point I was like yeah if I'm sort of buckling over with contractions and I'm feeling a bit intoxicated by hormones I think I'm I'm actually in labor (laughs) and then so we put a mattress on just an old mattress that we were going to throw out on the bedroom floor and I was sort of moving between kind of helping Foster where he needed it but also kind of on my hands and knees on the mattress and sitting on the edge of the bed and just kind of working through the contractions at that point I wasn't really moaning still breathing through them and then I know at one point I was sort of on the mattress and Foster coming and I was mid-contraction, and he asked me a question, and I was, like, immediately furious. <laughs> like, I'm not really an angry person, but he come in, and I was, like, in my mind, I was, like, I will kill you. Like, if you ask me <laughs> one more question while I'm having a contraction, this is not going to end well. Um, and then I, I said to him, like, don't ask me questions. <laughs> and then I think he really got, the sort of gist that like okay she's you know she's feeling it now kind of thing Mm. and so I called my midwife at about I think my phone record says it was around 1 30 I called Sorka and I said that things were picking up and feeling more intense and she said no because we'd spoken a lot about first time labors going on for quite some time you know she said this could go on for quite some time, Ali, you know, just try and, I guess, you know, make yourself comfortable and this might ease off when the sun comes up. Like it can happen where labour picks up through the night and when the sun comes up, things can ease off and slow down a little bit. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've got about four or five hours (laughs) until the sun comes up and I would have quite welcomed the break, actually. I think I sort of thought to myself okay I can do this for four or five hours and then I'm actually really keen for that break <laughs> so uh at that point I you know I relayed to Forstow what Sorka had said and said look I think we just need to chill a bit and you go back to bed and try and get some rest and I'm just gonna try and relax a bit so I just sat on the couch in the lounge room just in the dark by myself I was sort of wrapped in a blanket and I just kind of, yeah, just kind of sat with the contractions really and just kind of, yeah, let them sort of come and go and just concentrating mm. on my breathing and trying to relax in between and just close my eyes a little bit and get some rest where I could. But they were just not 
going to ease off any time. They were just picking up and picking up. And I think, yeah, I sort of started to moan and groan a little bit during, you know, while I was sitting on the couch by myself, I sort of started to make some noises to be able to cope with them. And then from, I think I went in to Borsto at about quarter to three and I said to him, so I sat on the couch by myself for about sort of yeah, an hour and then I went into him and I said, I think we should start filling up the birth pool because they're just getting, my contractions are getting longer, they're getting stronger, they're getting closer together and I don't want to not have access to the water if this does kind of, if it doesn't ease off in the morning, I you know. And so um, from there on, it was all pretty blurry for me. And I, you know, I've said this to a few people that the hormones for me was were coming on so strong. I really felt out, just out of this planet. Like I was just, it was like I'd taken drugs. I was like <laughs> wandering around. I thought there's like a about an hour of my labour that I can not really recall. Like I know that I was kind of on the mattress and in the bedroom a bit and then I was going out to see how forced it was going with filling up the pool. But I was really in a big haze at that time in my labour. And then I was really being thrown to the floor with my contractions. I was, you know, I couldn't talk through them. I couldn't stand or walk through them. And I called the midwife again at... Um, about 3.40 a.m. I called Sorka and I was like, because I was so kind of hazy, I just was like, I don't know what to say. I'm just, this is getting intense. And I couldn't really articulate what I was, what was happening for me. I was sort of like, it gets progressing and I'm, you know, I'm feeling, I'm really feeling it now. It's feeling really strong and powerful. And and she was like, do you want me to come? And I was like, I don't know because I've never done this before. Like, I don't know how progressed I am or how much longer it will be like this. I just really felt kind of like, I don't know what's going on. And she just always so calm and, and so gentle and just, she was like, okay, just hop in the shower and see if that, either hop in the shower or sit on the toilet backwards with a pillow and let, like lean into the pillow and try and have a rest and see if either of those things help sort of cope a little bit with them. Well, not, she didn't use the word cope, but I guess a bit more comfortable for you to sit on the toilet or be in the shower. So call me back if you if you want me to come or your waters break or you know if those methods you know aren't sort of helping and then uh 15 minutes later just this huge surge just took over my whole body and I think I think I was checking on how fast I was going filling up the pool and I was thrown into the floor and I was on my hands and knees and I was like like trying to like slow motion crawl to the mattress on my floor oh my god I was on the hard floor because we have uh, you know we have this hard flooring and just yeah this just I recall the contraction like particular surge so well it was just so huge and it just went through my just wave just took over my entire body and I you know fell to the floor and I was like trying to like crawl to the mattress and then I got my hands on the mattress and my water's just released everywhere all over my carpet and I was like oh my gosh I'm literally two seconds away from the mattress 
didn't, I didn't make it. So, yeah, the waters just went all over my carpet. Oh. So that was fine. But it was just such an overwhelming feeling, just that water release. I don't know. Um, I did listen to your podcast. I don't know if your waters, like, trickled or burst. But um, With my first, because I was in hospital, they broke my waters. But then in my second, they burst. So I, I got up out of the wheelchair and they just. Yeah, so you know that sensation. It's just yeah, like oh my gosh, (laughs) and then um, so I called Soccer back to let her know, and she said, "Like, have a look. Is it all clear?" And I said, "Yes, like it's all clear." And then from there, the contractions picked up even more. They were just yeah, getting sort of more intense. And Soccer said, "You know, uh, maybe now's a good time to get into the pool." And she said, "The water." you know, being submerged in the water, it'll either ease off the contractions and give you a break or it will pick them up and either way is great for you. And that was a really nice message because it was like, if it eases off and you get a break, wonderful. If things pick up and your labour progresses, that's also great. So yeah, that was sort of a nice message and just was like, yes, okay, let's get into the water. Because she's right, you know, either way is great. So I jumped into the water and it was just like, oh, so good just that warm water on your body it's just so relaxing it didn't ease things off for me it actually picked things up it sort of made things progress but even still even though the contractions were more intense and stronger and close together like it was just I think by that stage I was you know fully in established labor the water just in between contractions just just I was able to fully relax um, and I just found it really, really comfortable and I felt that I was able to use the space of the pool really well too. So they're quite big, the birth pools, and I felt like I needed that whole space. Like I didn't have anyone in the pool with me and I was just, like I'm quite tall, so I was just using, you know, I was just spreading out and using that space and extending my legs and stretching my body and I just felt really comfortable and safe in that pool and also just leaning against the sides of the pool was just so comfortable as well you know when those contractions really pick up any comfort that you can get in between them I think makes it all just that much easier to sort of manage it all but it was still only Foster and I at home together you know we didn't have my sister didn't arrive the photographer who's also a birth keeper she hadn't arrived yet my midwife wasn't there and so it was just us and I think Foster could really see that things were really, really picking up. And he called Sorka and was like, I think he just picked up the phone. He dialed her and was like, we need you here now. And then he threw the phone. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I'm coming. Um, she she flew very far away. But, um, but, yeah, she arrived. It was probably around a little bit before five, I think, or maybe about five o'clock Sorka got there. And I just sort of, you know, like I heard her enter the room, but I was really in the zone at that time. I think from about from about then on, yeah, the contractions were just really heavy. And I like, you know, I don't want to use the word painful because I didn't find it painful. It was just really strong in my body. It just felt like my body was being used at its capacity, sort of. Yeah, like everything was just, you know, my muscles were, you know, obviously very tense and just being used to, yeah, their full capacity. But I didn't, 
I didn't find it painful. I just found it really strong. I just found the sensations in my body really, really strong. And I was sort of they at the stage by that time that they were sort of really kind of long and one after the other. And I wasn't getting that break in between contractions anymore. So I remember sort of saying, because you know you read about, you know, that the contractions happen and then they ease off and you get a bit of a break and then you have another one. But it was just progressing so fast and I felt like even between contractions, they weren't fully easing off. Like there was still a bit of tension in between and because they were getting longer and closer together, I felt in my body that I was starting to sort of not tire because I didn't know how long it would go for, but I just started to feel like I needed a bit of a break. Um, And I said to Sorka, "Um, I just want a break. And she just very calmly said to me, you probably won't get a break now, Ali. And I just, that was the best thing she could have said to me. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't sympathetic. It wasn't like, I know this is really hard. I think that would have had a really different impact on my mind. But her saying, you probably won't get a break now, Ali. It just really put me into work mode. I was like, right. If my midwife is saying that I'm not going to get a break now, this baby is coming. It is happening. There is a job to be done. Let's do it. And I just fully got into like, right, let's do it. And I think that mentality just really helped me cope with the intensity of things at that stage and so yeah so things are sort of I was just by that stage just yeah yelling and roaring and we live in an apartment complex and I was just like "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) I think I was probably just like yelling for about an hour straight but um my sister arrived at about seven past five um, and she come in and yeah, so it just, it was all just very quiet and calm. I had some music on, of course I put some music on. I had my sort of fairy lights and affirmations and photos, which I took no notice of whatsoever. <laughs> I had my eyes closed the whole time. And yeah, so my poster was there, um, obviously my midwife and my sister and then the photographer got there. So everyone sort of got there within sort of 15 minutes of each other and it just was very if if I can use the word kind of anticlimactic like no one was like oh my god this is happening are you okay like no one was sort of entering my mental space I was completely in the zone and nobody interfered with that like no one was trying to yeah, there was no, I guess, that poking and prodding that happens in hospital and no, like, can you tell me, you know, how can you feel the baby's head or can you, you know, no one asking me to do anything, just... Yeah, no interruption to no, your face by yeah, the sounds of it. completely undisturbed and just everyone was just doing all the right things at the right time, you know, just the cold cloth on the head or on the back of my neck and my midwife got out a hand fan and was just like standing in front of my face and that was just like the best thing ever and I think, you know, if you are so lucky that you can find a midwife that completely trusts birth and doesn't try and do anything to you but has that you know I say my midwife was the ultimate wise woman like she could just observe my birth 
and know exactly what to say or exactly what to do at the right time. And like, she just knew, like she just, you know, she got out that fan and I was like, oh my God, this is heaven. And, you know, just different little things that she said at the right time. And I think, you know, sometimes I think, you know, there can be a bit of a culture that, you know, midwives can still intervene with your birth. If you have a private midwife and a home birth that they still intervene, but mine didn't. She was just completely just an observer and just, yeah, she just did all the right things at the right time. So then my photographer arrived and same thing, her energy was just, yeah, everyone was just really respectful and just, yeah, quiet and calm and just let me do it. And I think that was my sort of favourite thing about birthing at home was just, I was just permitted to do it and do it my way and I didn't, yeah, have anyone kind of, yeah, trying to interfere. So um, and I and I felt really confident during my birth. I never, I didn't have that crisis of confidence. I never had that feeling of, oh my god, I can't do this, or this is too much, or I need this stuff, or I'm gonna have to go to hospital. This is, you know, too hectic. I think because I was just the people around me were so calm and so respectful of me doing it how I needed to do you know I was positioning my body how I felt I needed to I was making whatever noises I felt I needed to and I think yeah it was just very yeah there's something so significant as birth those moments also felt very anticlimactic like it was just happening and we were all everyone was just kind of relaxed around me just waiting for baby to arrive and it was all very calm so I think that's exactly how I wanted it to be so yeah I think the birth team makes a big difference too. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. So then I sort of got on to, I think I had a moment where, yeah, the the contractions were really, really super intense and then suddenly they stopped and I, I got that break that I so needed and it was so good. I just, yeah, I just, it all just stopped. It just, my body completely relaxed and there was no tension, no pain no discomfort everything just felt normal for a moment and I think I don't know how long that sort of lasted but it felt like it was about a good minute where I was just I just floated back in the pool and I just sat against the wall of the pool and I had my eyes closed and I was like ah, oh, this is so nice <laughs> um and then I had one more sort of big contraction and then I got another break and yeah it was just that thing that I just needed I you know I think my body was just like right permission to breathe have a break um and then after that yeah just we sort of I went into the second stage and I think maybe it was like the time that my body sort of I was fully dilated and then I had sort of a little bit of a break before the second stage started I'm not sure so did you have any vaginal exams at all no no so she actually didn't touch me at all I think she did a Doppler check on baby maybe when she first got there but I think only the one time you know she asked me if that was fine and I said yes but that was I think the only time that she had actually touched me during my birth how beautiful yeah other than putting her hand on my back she did this like sacral pressure thing on my lower back and then she showed my partner how to do it and that was oh, the best I think there was sort of a moment I was sort of on my 
hands and knees and I just said, ah, oh, my back. <laughs> and then just me kind of saying that she knew what to do and that was that helped a lot actually. So and that gave Falstow a job to do as well because he was kind of just observing too and him being able to just put that pressure on my lower back made him feel like he was helping me and actually really was helping me. So it was great for both of us. So I could then feel that sort of stretching happening that, you know, I could just feel the baby moving down my birth canal and I just remember feeling like the head was just so hard like it's just so hard <laughs> <laughs> it's like and you can feel everything and um and you know she'd sort of be moving down and I could sort of feel that kind of stretching feeling kind of each contraction she'd move a little bit lower and a little bit lower and I think at that point I had my hand on my vagina just to kind of it just felt like I was supporting the pressure a little bit just kind of intuitively wanting to feel how close she was as well. Um, but I knew she wasn't crowning, but just that kind of head moving down the birth canal, you can feel that, you know, she's she's moving down. And, yeah, I could sort of feel her getting sort of closer and closer and closer. And then sort of there was a moment when, you know, I, I said, just I said out loud, she's nearly here, I think, or something like that. And Sorka said to me, can you feel her head yet? And I just was like, I just started sobbing and I was like, no, but I can feel it in our heart, in my heart. I can feel it in my heart that my baby's coming. And um, and I reached out for Falsto's hand and like he held my hand and I had like a few sobs of like, our daughter's nearly here. And, and then, yeah, a big wave of contraction just took over again. And then I sort of went back into work mode. And yeah, and then I could sort of feel feel her sort of like I could feel my vagina sort of starting to open. I could feel her head sort of starting to do that sort of move, edge down a little bit and then ease back and then edge down and ease back, which is really normal and it's actually quite necessary to not, you know, to avoid sort of bad tearing is for that stage to be kind of slower. So I was just at that point. So the whole time I just felt, I felt like probably since being in the pool and the contractions being really um, intense, I really felt like I was just inside my body. I just felt, yeah, all I could do, it's like the, the absolute most focused that I think I've ever been. I just, all I could do was just focus on the feelings inside my body. And I mm-hmm. think everything that I read about trusting women and trusting that they innately know birth is just part of your biological physiological makeup it all just made sense because I was just feeling and observing and listening and hearing and you know feeling my baby and just so inside my own body and I just I really feel like I would have known if something was going wrong because I was just paying so much attention it's quite hard to explain like the focus that is required to birth your baby and to yeah especially in that second stage when they're sort of moving down the birth canal you're just so 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 focused on your body and you just feel completely inside yourself and and yeah so she was sort of moving down and um and that that's sort of the moment I think when when she was crowning that was probably the one moment where I felt needed my the most effort to have some control. Like I think I felt I felt very controlled the whole time, but starting to sort of 
like, like, you know, breathe really fast. And I was a bit, I had kind of like that adrenaline kick of fear of like, I think I anticipated her head being born. I anticipated that it would hurt more than it actually did. And I think that's probably the one moment where I had a bit of fear is I can feel that stretching. I know the head's about to be born and this is going to hurt. And I sort of was a bit, yeah, my breath. I lost a bit of control of my breath. And that a moment when Sorka said, no, she was like, let it happen, Ali, just breathe slowly. And I think that was just the exact words that just put me sort of back on track. I just started to inhale, you know, big, deep breaths and just control my breathing and just let my body do it. I think without that little bit of guidance, I think it would have been quite easy for me to try and take over the pushing. I think that required the most yeah control from me because you feel that sensation you feel that urge to push you just want to be like bear down get this you know get this head out because it's yeah you just have this kind of feeling of just wanting to push but I didn't I didn't want to push I wanted to you know breathe my baby out and so I at that time really had to have a lot of control and focus and just focus on my breathing and just let my body do it and yeah it did it (laughs) without me really having to do anything except breathe and in the birth film you can see so Macy was face presenting and you can see I think Fausto he had his hand on my back and he was turning to look at the wall where I had the affirmations and um I think he was going to try and give me some you know verbal affirmations that he could read on the wall and Fokka said look Foster, there's your baby and he just looked down into the water in the mirror and he just got a big smile on his face and you can see my sister her mouth is like she goes wow <laughs> you know um, everyone was sort of yeah looking at her because you could see her face before her head was born <laughs> and then so one big contraction and the head was born and she was just wide-eyed so everyone told me later that her head was out and her body was still in and she was just wide-eyed under the water looking off at everyone. Wow. So alert. And then my midwife said to me, you, at, like, at this moment, you might start to feel her start to rotate, like her shoulders might move um, around. And literally within sort of seconds to minute, I felt, I felt the baby start to rotate inside of me and I, and it didn't hurt. Like it wasn't the contraction that did it. My body was really relaxed and my baby was moving. And I was thinking, I was actually having a thought in my mind of, she's so clever. She knows exactly what to do. <laughs> my baby, she's so clever. She's so clever. And I was really fascinated by that part of the labor because I was like, is this baby is not yet even born and she knows how to get out of my pelvis like it is just it just really blew my mind and it really put ease you know I really felt at ease too because she was obviously doing what you'd expect her to do and and that just made me feel like all right she's fine she's so fine I never I never doubted it anyway but it was just that extra little bit of reassurance of like right she's fine and she's 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 going Mm. to come out perfectly fine and then sort of one more big contraction and she just blew out (laughs) the shoulders was not like a slow stretch it was like she shot out of my body (laughs) and and Fosto said 
You got it! <laughs> and then he just started to cry straight away. And Macy sort of floated because I was still on my hands and knees. She just sort of floated um, between my legs and Thorka said, Ali, pick up your daughter. And I just reached down into the water and I just, just yeah, put my arms under her and brought her up out of the water. And I just said, oh, my little baby. <laughs> um, and it just, that moment is like nothing else. You just, I just, I didn't cry. I was just like, whoa, there she is. Like she this is my little baby. And I just looked at her and I was just looking at her and she was wide-eyed, her eyes completely wide open and she was just looking at me and she was just so calm and like, she was like, it's like if she could have talked, she would have been like, hey, <laughs> like, <laughs> completely relaxed. And then I think maybe just like the shock of it all kind of thing. She, you know, she let out a couple of little cries and I just brought her to my chest and then I looked up at my sister and Foster and they were looking down at me and they were sobbing and I just had the biggest smile on my face and I was just like completely overwhelmed with joy and I looked down at her and I was like, she's perfect. She's like just the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life like that oxytocin rush just like overwhelms you and you just look down at your little baby and you're just completely amazed by them and yeah it was just incredible it's just something that's really hard to put into words it's amazing oh I can really I can it's almost like I can feel your birth throughout my entire body I'm just like what a beautiful story. Just wow. Thanks. That was pretty, it's, oh. yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's making me emotional too. <laughs> like it's, it's very, it's very beautiful. Far thank out. You. Um, thank you. Oh, this, this is just everything. I mean, the trust that you've had in the whole process and the way that your labor has just progressed, the way that your body knew to take little breaks and your support system and then how she's emerged into the world it's just so so beautiful yeah um, it's, and it was all just so calm and I think that yeah that's the one thing that I sort of really promote about homebirth is just calm and it's safe and you know it was calm for her and I think you know that is really important to me as well like not only was it calm for me but it was calm for her and she knew where she was like she she, I put her to my chest and like she let out those couple of little cries. I put her to my chest and she just relaxed. She was just like, I know where I am. I'm with my mama and I am fine. And it was just so sweet. And she was just looking around and yeah, calm. And I remember actually said to her, I was still sort of coming down from the stars because I was just, yeah, just on another you know, in another world really. And then I just Mm. said to her, like when I come down a little bit and I just said to her, we're your parents and uh, this is your home and you live here with us and it's going to be fine, I promise. (laughs) 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 Just the funny things that you say when you sort of, yeah. yeah. But yeah, she sort of, we just stayed in the pool for about an hour and she um, started, you know, she looked for the boob straight away and, 
probably yeah within like 20 minutes she was having a feed and that was really important to me too like I really breastfeeding um, was something that I you know was really important for me and I knew that home birth really promotes that because you get that sort of undisturbed time after birth as well so she and you know I clearly said to everyone don't touch me and don't touch my baby until she's had a had that first feed and they're like no don't kind of interfere with anything until she's had that first feed so yeah she sort of found the boob and had a feed sort of yeah within 20 minutes I reckon and then yeah it was all just just kind of perfect that moment like it's sort of making me relive it again talking about it just that feeling of like ah a perfect little perfect little baby (laughs) and you did it I know it's such yeah it's just like a well that happened and I just I think I can really relate when um Rhea Dempsey says just let your monkey out like if you just truly just let your body do it just you know you don't really even have to do anything you don't have to you know practice birth positions or you know um you know like all you really have to do is breathe and and let your body do it and it happens and I think yeah I just you feel like yes I did it but I also felt like my body did that (laughs) and you know you sort of just get out the way and let it happen um and I think that happens more easily when you trust in your body and when you have a good understanding of what your body does during birth then you can just go with it for me I can't speak for everyone for me if I didn't know what to expect in birth and I didn't know what my body would do there would be more fear there would be like is this okay is what's happening normal is everything fine but I think when you really sort of educate yourself then you're like yes it is fine it is normal everything is going exactly as it should be and so how did your placenta release um yeah so I got out of the pool after about 50 minutes because I was having sort of the contractions and um and I was like yeah I think I need to get the placenta out and then so we got out of the pool and then I got onto the mattress and uh, I was on my hands and knees and I was like oh there's like a real bad sting down there like I there is pain and so I was breathing the sorry I'm just distracted by baby oh don't be silly we love babies Right. she's going with my mum and she's looking at me like oh, oh. sorry I'm just gonna have to hold it. oh it's totally fine yeah so I was on my hands and knees on the mattress and yeah Sorka was next to me and Fausto was there and like what the bowl was underneath and I yeah could just feel the bad sting but I was like oh I'm gonna get the placenta out because I think sort of that, that I felt like sort of close um, and then so I birthed the placenta. That was all pretty anticlimactic as well. It was just kind of a little like push, and I like I just gave a little pull on the cord and a little push, and it just sort of come out quite easily. And then as soon as the placenta come out, I was like, oh, there's still pain down there, and I just automatically kind of laid on the right side of my body and put my left leg up, and I was in a lot of pain and I you know I was saying to the midwife um yeah this is really hurting actually and then she said okay well can I get you up on the bed and you know do you want to hop up on the bed and we'll have a look because the other midwife had arrived after Macy was born and so I laid up on the bed and uh I think they were expecting to see 
pairing, just the way that I was sort of presenting to them. But um, I'd actually developed a huge hematoma. So that is sort of like a big collection of blood. So, yeah, so I got up on the bed and they, yeah, had a look and I had developed, yeah, a massive, quite a big, big hematoma, which is, yeah, a collection of blood. So this can happen usually the most sort of common occurrences of hematomas happen when there is an episiotomy or vacuum or forceps um so yeah interventions or if the woman is on blood thinning medication so I had none of the risk factors for a hematoma so I think I was just a bit unlucky there (laughs) but it was really painful yeah so the midwives had a look and like you know they were sort of like, oh, I think um, it's a piece. So they, you know, they knew what it was when they looked at it and said it's a hematoma. You know, we would recommend that you go to hospital for this because, you know, it's quite a large hematoma and it may need to be drained. And so I was just like, yeah, like if that's what needs to happen, that's what needs to happen. I never really was resistant to going to hospital at all. And yeah, so it was kind of, it was really painful, but. Look, all in all, I don't sort of know the right words to use. It was it was painful, but it wasn't stressful. Everyone remained, you know, really calm. You know, I still had Macy with me. She was still feeding. Forsto was having a bit of a cuddle too. And I really was just laying on the bed sort of trying to cope with the pain of that. And when I said that, yes, like I would, you know, consent to them calling the ambulance to take me to hospital and I'm receptive to going to hospital. Um, then they called the ambulance for me and the ambulance came in about, oh, God, I'm going to say about sort of 10 or 15 minutes. And that wasn't even a emergency. Like it's not, you know, having a huge postpartum hemorrhage or something like that where, they, you know, they come lights and sirens or it was just sort of a, you know, there was no kind of urgency to my medical situation. But they still come really quickly and they were really lovely. They were very non-judgmental about the home birth. Macy stayed with me. You know, we transferred to hospital. And then when I got to hospital, it was a pretty tricky time because it was kind of a bit like I was in a lot of pain by then, but they couldn't give me any pain relief because I was going to have an anaesthetic to have it drained. They couldn't give me any pain relief. Um, And it was much worse than the labour, the pain of the hematoma. So I was sort of, yeah, I was in hospital and Jack Forster was with me. I had Macy on me. My private midwife was with me the whole time except when I went into the theatre to have the hematoma drained. So that made such a difference to our experience as well and for Forster too because we just had someone there that was just, you know, that we knew genuinely cared about us and our family and was going to be an advocate in any situation and a support and it just made a really big difference. So even though she couldn't act as my midwife in hospital, she was still the best support and she expressed some colostrum for me which you know as a first-time mum never having breastfed before I don't think I would have been able to do that myself and I didn't sort of do any kind of pre-birth collection or anything so she obviously with my permission collected some colostrum and that actually made that really meant the world to me that I would 
you know, while I was going into theatre to have the drain that sh- that my baby would still get my colostrum because I knew that, you know, it was so important in that first, the first days. It just really meant a lot to me to know that she was still going to get the colostrum. And so I really, really appreciated that. And then, so when I went into theatre, Sorka <laughs> helped like Forsto with Macy. Um, he'd never even held a baby before. Macy was the first baby he'd even held. So that was nice that he had that support from Sorka too. And that was sort of nice for me to know as well that she was fine and happy and safe, connecting with Forsto and stuff. So that was all sort of fine. The only sort of thing that sort of happened in hospital that wasn't so great was um, when I was waiting for to go into theatre. I was sort of by that stage in a lot of pain and I was saying to them, like, please, can you give me something? Please, can you give me something? And I was saying, oh, you know, no, we can't because you're going to have an anaesthetic and whatnot. And then, you know, I was saying, can you please tell them to hurry up and set up the room and get me in there because, you know, this is intolerable. And the anaesthetic nurse, said to me and I just felt completely judged she just said to me well you didn't have an epidural or any pain relief for your birth so this is what you get with natural childbirth (gasps) are you serious yeah (laughs) yeah and I was like I just couldn't believe it I was I think I actually laughed because I was so shocked and just and immediately I was like she has no idea what she's talking about because this is not what you get with natural childbirth and yeah so and I felt that that was a real judgment that I had a home birth oh that's totally unacceptable oh completely yeah completely yeah I was but in saying that I just want to I just want to say that one of the hospital midwives come with me and she was amazing she held my hand and stroked my face and you know helped me keep just breathing and tried to keep me as calm as possible and she was advocating for me like she was going in and out of the theater room telling them to you know come on let's get her in there like she was wonderful so it wasn't I don't want that one comment to reflect that you know all hospital is a bad experience because there are staff in there that are wonderful but just nurse and you know she wasn't a maternity nurse either she was an anesthetic nurse so she probably had no idea at all what she was even dealing with there's just no sensitivity though either with comments like that there's no no and I did that I made shocks me I know I was I was completely like are you serious right now like you can literally see me on the bed writhing in pain and you can actually make that comment to me looking at me in this state I was just like where is the compassion like this is I was so so just taken aback yeah that's horrible I'm so sorry you formed part of such a beautiful otherwise beautiful experience yeah and and when I come out of theater I was pretty upset you know I record what she said and I just felt strange because you don't know these people you know but I felt like a bit of kind of heartbreak that someone would treat me like that and I think yeah I felt really affected by it just in those moments kind of after the surgery especially because I was away from Macy and I desperately wanted to be with back with her and then I just yeah really felt so unsupported and judged and it just made it all like a little bit harder to kind of deal with emotionally but um I got back up to Macy 
sort of within like half an hour of coming out of theatre and um, I was just, then I just held her for 24 hours. I just laid on the bed and I just had her on my chest and I just held her and fed her for 24 hours and it was all fine. Being in hospital was actually fine. Like it's not what you hope for, obviously, when you have a home birth. That was bold to just being at home with my baby and just, you know, being tucked up into my own bed and having my baby with me and having that bit of comfort just in my own home. But in saying that, it was actually so fine to be in a hospital as well. I still had Macy on me, skin feeding her, doing all the things that was really important to me after birth. And everyone just responded so appropriately and calmly and there wasn't any feeling of emergency or urgency or worry or stress. It was just sort of like, okay, like this is what we can see. This is what we recommend. What do you want to do? I still made all the choices. Um, I was only separated from Macy for a little bit of time and that was purely just because I had to have my hematoma drained. But other than that, all of, you know, the midwives in the maternity ward were all very, very kind to me and lovely and thought it was awesome that I'd had a home birth and wanted to, you know, was really um, very complimentary about the way that I'd managed birth and then the way that I was sort of handling the situation. So I'd say like my overall hospital experience was actually very good other than that one comment. <laughs> yeah. And I just, um, I think it's important to share that part because things can happen in birth. We know that there's such a, there is such a variety of things that can happen. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is out of control, but it doesn't mean that home birth is dangerous. Just because things can happen in birth, that doesn't mean that home birth is dangerous. Yeah, that's right. And the same thing would have happened if you were in hospital. There was no aspect about your home birth that, you know, led to the hematoma as far as, yeah, the, it, it was unrelated yeah. to where you gave birth that would have happened where you were regardless and it sounds like it wasn't a it wasn't an emergency or crisis like we hear people being transferred to hospital following a home birth but that doesn't mean it's an emergency it doesn't mean it's life-threatening that's right yeah 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 and that doesn't and I had a postpartum hemorrhage as well and like even so the the hematoma and the hemorrhage sort of come like part and parcel <laughs> yeah but, hand in hand yeah but it it didn't um all of that happening wasn't a crisis and you know I think even in hospital if I had birthed in hospital I wouldn't have gone into theatre and had that drain any sooner because I when I was at home by the time the midwife called ahead to the hospital to tell them what was happening and I got the transfer there I'm about half an hour away and I got the transfer and arrived there the team were there expecting me they had a look relatively quickly and then they got the theatre room set up. And I think even if I had birthed in hospital, they all of that would not have happened any faster. And, yeah, it's not sort of like if I was there, things would have been sorted out sooner because, yeah, we, like I, I know how it works when it's sort of you've got to call ahead. If you're in hospital, they've got to call ahead for theatre. And if you're at home, they call ahead. So it's just the same. The same, yeah. Oh, well, I'm so glad you spoke about that aspect. I think that'll really help the listeners digest, I guess, what the differences are between home and hospital birth and realise that it's actually quite similar in terms of response. So thank you for 
sharing that aspect of your story. I guess let's wrap things up. Yeah, just quickly, how how was your postpartum? Yeah, good. The recovery from the hematome was very easy. Like once it was drained, there was nothing. It was just a bit of, like it was bruised, but nothing. So the recovery was fine. It's truly incredible how fast the body heals from pregnancy and labour. So I had a very kind of resting period. I didn't even go out of the house with Macy, I think, until she was about four weeks old. So we just, it was winter, so we just stayed in we just cuddled with breastfed my partner looked after me it was a little bit unfortunate this is probably a separate story but I'll just run over it we all got COVID oh no which sort of meant that there was no village because we couldn't have visitors so we couldn't have my mom and my sister and friends and things like that so that posed its own challenges yeah we just had a very restful restful postpartum time and I had cooked lots of broth and soups and stews and things so we had sort of frozen meals on the go which I would highly recommend to do and yeah we just sort of tried to stay just yeah connected with each other like there's definitely you know challenges in that time I don't want it to sound like it was all sort of rainbows and unicorns like it's there is definitely the, the challenges let's finish up with what what's your one piece of advice that you could give to the listeners? I think my main piece of advice, and there's so many, but I think one thing that I say to new mums is like your baby is not biologically wired any different to a baby that's born into a tribe context. You know, like a baby that's born into an Amazonian tribe, they don't know that they're in a house. They don't know that the front door is locked and that there's no predators that can get them. They don't know that they are safe when they're separated from you. If you're in your bed and they're in their cot and they're upset because they're separated from you, you know, to us it's like, you're fine, I'm right here. But they don't know that being separated from you, leaving your baby in, you know, a different room to you, a different cot, that their perception in those early weeks, their perception is the same as being left alone in the bush. And I think, I just think that, you know, comparing your baby in your Western world to babies in other parts of the world where they're not in a locked house and safe from predators, but they actually do need to be on their mum all the time to be safe. Until they learn about our world here, they will want to be on you. So I think if you can just surrender to that and just, like, hold your baby they don't have to learn to go to sleep by themselves you can't overfeed a breastfed baby you can't spoil them you can't teach them bad habits just go with nature and just just hold that baby (laughs) and just let them be like just yeah because it's just such a short time it's such a short short time and it can feel so overwhelming to hold them all the time and for them to want you 24 7 it can feel like a lot, but they'll get to a point where they don't need that and then you'll miss it. Yeah, it just, it all happens so, so fast. Like those early weeks, I just can't even express enough how fast that time goes and how different they are week to week and how much they change, like their little faces change and their little bodies change and their movements change and their noises change and just soak it up and just just live like a tribal woman yeah (laughs) 
That's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I have loved your story from start to finish. I know this is going to be quite a long episode, but I think it'll be worth every minute. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, great project. It's very exciting for you. And I hope that yeah, it all kicks off for you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Mama Village. Check out the show notes for a link to our Instagram page where I upload pregnancy, birth, postpartum and motherhood resources. Next week on the podcast, don't miss an extraordinary episode as we sit down with Josie, a mother of four who shares her incredible, positive vaginal birth story after two cesareans. In a world where such stories are rare, Josie's resilience, courage and triumphs shine through offering a rare and powerful perspective on the strength found in choosing an empowering path for childbirth after two cesareans. Tune in for a rare and uplifting narrative that celebrates these extraordinary birth stories. If you would like to share your story on the podcast, please send an email to the.mamavillage@outlook.com. That's the.mamavillage@outlook.com. Please let me know what you think of today's show and what you would like to hear from the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast platform. I will speak to you all in next week's episode.